I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and you're listening to Writers on Writing. Welcome to the show. We are just about at the thousand show mark. And if you've been listening for a while and have gleaned tips that have helped your writing in any way, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash writers on writing. Any amount helps us to continue doing what we've been doing for the last 20 plus years. My guest today is literary agent Jenny Dunham. She's been an agent in New York since May 1992. In August of 2000, she founded Dunham Literary Inc. She represents literary fiction and nonfiction for adults and children. Her clients have had both critical and commercial success, and books she's represented have appeared on the New York Times bestseller lists. Her clients have also won numerous awards, including the New York Times Best Illustrated Book, the Schneider Family Award, Boston Globe Hornbook Honor, and Los Angeles Times Book Prize finalist. She's been a member of AALA, which is the American Association of Literary Agents, formerly AAR, since 1993. She graduated from Princeton University with a degree in anthropology and has a master's degree in social work from New York University, although now she only practices with characters on the page. And now for my talk with Jenny Dunham. So Jenny, you were on, I don't remember exactly when, but it's been a few years because COVID has taken up like two and a half years so far. Um, And it was before that. And so I'm curious what you've seen change since COVID in terms of, in terms of your, your work as an agent, what have been the changes that you've noticed? I think that so much of what we do as authors, agents, and editors is the quiet work alone, sitting with a book, with it, with, you know, writing it, with editing it, reading it, making suggestions. And that can't happen mostly in conversation, or at least until you've, you know, you've done the work of reading, which is quiet and solitary. So, and that's conducive to being alone. So th- I, I feel like there's, um, it's very compatible, the changes that have happened during COVID in terms of workflow and where people do their work and how it's acknowledged. And I mean, I think that this is even bigger than publishing. I think that the world mm-hmm. has changed in, in, in some really good ways. And there are certainly some problems with it too, because nothing beats a group of people coming together and discussing something and the collaboration that can happen then and the inspiration that can happen from being together. But um, just a lot can happen in time that's alone too. So, and then, I mean, we had FaceTime and Skype and other ways to um, see each other before COVID, but do you find that you meet with potential clients or clients more now that we're used to Zoom? I mean, are you seeing people more? Absolutely. I mean, I've been using, um, I was using Skype for years. I mean, you know, 12 years I've been using Mm -hmm. Skype, but I mostly used it internationally because I would, um, we had, we were in an au pair program and I would interview overseas people Mm -hmm. before inviting them to join our family for 
a year of, of living with us. Um, so I, as soon as it was time to, you know, we could use more video chat and it was more other people accepted it, you know, and knew how to use the technology of it. I went right in and, and mm -hmm. used it much more. So I wouldn't just say with clients and prospective clients that I'm mm -hmm. using, I would just say I'm using it. I prefer it to phone and I'm using it all the time with everybody, mm -hmm. you know, other editors, other agents all the time, all the time. So what about subject matter? What about material that's come through since COVID? Are you finding a lot of pandemic uh, plots? Um, how, has that changed at all? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, I think anytime there is something, you know, an experience that is culturally relevant to so many people, it's a topic. It's, mm -hmm. it's in the ether. People want to address it. I do find that um, writing is greatly aided by the filter of memory and that talking about something too soon, it hasn't had time to sort of gel within a person. So, um, and sometimes that's true about reading, you know, people haven't had enough time to experience something and get through and be on the other side before they want to come to that and start to be introspective about it. So I do find that there is more coming through about the pandemic. I find that um, I'm not finding a huge um, market for selling it yet. Hmm. What about, well, you know, let's back up a bit. How did you get into agenting? Talk about oh, that. By accident. <laughs> um, so I always loved books and knew that I wanted to do something with books, but I didn't really know all the different parts of the field, you know, what, what the different possibilities were. And when I graduated from college, I was given a book called Author and Agent by Michael Creeling. And it was about Eudora Welty and her agent, Dermot Russell. Hmm. And it was the first time that I thought about agents. I just had no idea. Um, I worked part-time in a bookstore and I got an unpaid internship, which was the, the entry path in those days. And after that, I got um, the first job offer I got was from an agency and I said, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the funny part of the story is that I worked there for a year and realized, okay, I really like this work, but this, the agency focused mostly on science books and I didn't want that. And then I did another year somewhere else. And then I really found the job where I was for most of my years. I was you know, training before I started my own agency and it was the same agency as in that book. Hmm. So that was really kind of fun. Yeah. And it's interesting you say by accident, because some of the best things happen by accident, right? They do. Just because it's an accident doesn't mean it's not the right path forward. Right. Right. So what do you represent? What do you like to represent? And do you, is, is your list, is it all what you love or is any of it, you know, marketing driven, market driven, or, you know, talk about? Well, I have three basic areas literary fiction and nonfiction for adults, children's books, and some alternative spirituality or um, a little bit of prescriptive, but not a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, and really what focuses it all together are books that are focused on character and are literary, but with a hook. So one is always thinking about the com commercial aspect of a book. I don't want to take something on unless I feel I could sell it. 
Um, but I also feel like I have to love it and understand it. And I think an agent really getting a book, you know, like I get what this is. I know how to talk about this. And usually I find that that's a book that I would read in my free time. You know, if it's a book that I read in my free time, I really know that I know the other titles. Um, I, I know who's going to like that. And, and so I'm much more confident in selling that. Hmm. And, and I would assume everything begins with a query letter. Yes. Even if I have a referral or I meet someone at a conference, everything starts with a query letter saying, okay, I, you know, I'd like to consider, you know, having you represent me. And I get that query letter in and I look at it and, you know, I have to say no to the majority of them, of course, because I receive so many, I do try to respond to all of them. Um, but I will say that, you know, you don't want an agent who's not busy. And when I find one that I love, it's thrilling. That's the exciting part of, you know, the business is finding something you love, making a sale for a book you love, mm -hmm. helping someone make their dreams of being a writer come true. Are the queries you receive for fiction pretty much the same as what you receive for nonfiction? And I guess what I mean is with fiction, do you like queries in the tone of the book or do you want it to be a business letter? No matter if it's fiction, nonfiction, no matter what it is. I think it's a business letter and I need to know that the person who's coming in is thinking about it as a business. You know, that they're thinking about, um, you know, self-publishing exists so that if you want to be in control of the voice, the plot, all of those things, there's a place for you. But um, this is a business and you have to write, an, or, or an author has to write something that is going to be marketable, that other people will want to read, that an agent editor will want to work on too. You know? What about self-publishing? I mean, have, have writers who've self-published come to you wanting to kind of have you represent that book that's already out there? Like, what is your position on self-publishing? Does, you know, what do you do with that? I think, well, so if someone has self-published a book, meaning they've um, put it on Amazon, it's available for anyone to read in the US. And that means they've already had that moment of it being new and newsworthy. Mm -hmm. So it, what I find most editors will say is unless it's been a huge success and you can definitely find some exceptions, um, that's, it's had its chance and they don't think they can do it. You know, mm -hmm. the one exception is for books that were printed and sold in a very local market. So if you've sold more than say 5,000 copies in one city, maybe they could find other markets for that book in a wider audience. But mm -hmm. these days, self-publishing generally has an online platform, you know, Amazon, et cetera. So, you know, it's very hard to do that. People are not just printing a book and selling them out of their kitchen. Hmm. Although some, it seems that self-published books do kind of make it into the marketplace a little too soon sometimes, don't that's they? True. I mean, well, you know, some people say, oh, that's censorship. And I'm like, no, that's quality control. Right. And, you know, the publishing process is long. We all learn how to write in school, but we don't learn how to craft stories. And that can take a long time um, to learn. I mean, if it were easy, you know, more people who want to do it would be doing it, right? <laughs> well, the self-publishing, you know, it's just, I don't know. It just, I wish it wasn't so easy. 
You know, I mean, I wish there were some filters in place so that a writer could, you know, make sure the art is right and make sure it's been proofread and make sure, I mean, I know there are hybrid publishers like She Writes that you pay and they will do all that and, and produce a nice book for you. But I don't think most people have that kind of money to put into it. And so it just is like flung out there at times when maybe it should have taken a little longer. I agree. I mean, I think people get to the end of a first draft and they're so excited because that is a really big accomplishment, but that doesn't mean it's done and ready to go. Um, and, you know, people are tired of waiting, often do go into self-publishing. And I mean, it depends what you want. What are your goals? I mean, some people write something and they want their family to love it and that's enough. Mm -hmm. But some people want to be um, critically successful and have a financial success with the book. And I still think that traditional publishing is the best path for that. Do you think there's ageism in publishing? And does the writer's age matter to you? Um, yes and no. I mean, unlike sports where you hit a peak, mm -hmm. you know, writing is like wine or cheese. You age and you can become better over time. Um, there does come a point when one can't be as um, able to promote a book. And these days, an author's ability to promote their own work is integral to the process. Um, and, and that promotion is now more and more done through social media. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, this is not necessarily ageism, but if somebody, you know, does not take the time at whatever age to be on those platforms and learn how to do that effectively, it um, can make a big impact on whether an agent or editor or publisher is interested in mm -hmm. working with that person. Um, although I should say there, you know, you, plenty of people and, and especially even very successful authors hire someone else to do that for them. Right. But that generally means having an income from that, that they can afford to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk, I want to get back to queries, but first I want to ask you, since you mentioned social media, I wanted to ask you, how important it is to you for a prospective client i mean you know followers do you look at that is that important and do you believe it i mean because you can have you know you can pay these companies to you know give you twenty thousand followers right i mean you know what can you believe and you know what's kind of implausible at times to believe even i mean I don't know. How do you feel about that? And are you needing your clients to be really active on social media? Even be, I mean, before you sign them up. I, I do like them to be active on social media. It is nice to see people. I mean, if you don't have a book, it can be hard. How do you do that? Right. And I have one client and I took him on and I said, look, I really like this, but I need you to do this. I want you to go get 5,000 followers on Twitter. Like, I can't do what I need to do unless you do that because I have to talk to editors mm -hmm. and they're going to look for that. So I look at that for that because they're looking for that. Is it real? You know, there are always going to be ways around things, but I think people should try to be real in the way that they do it. Mm -hmm. um, and this guy went out and did it, you know, and, you know, it took a while. It took a while. It took a while. And then I got a two book deal for him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, um, it does help to have that social media in place. You don't have to be everywhere but pick one place and you don't, I don't think you're as effective if you're me, me, me all the time on mm -hmm. social media. If you're part of the conversation, if you're boosting other people, if you know what the issues are and you have 
a, a positive opinion and you know productive way of discussing them and and you know you should be attracting the people who are the same kind of writer that you are so that you know that group and and you're part of it so mm -hmm. i think that you don't have to have a book out to join that group and and be a, a part of, and have a following you know when you follow each other i mean if i go to a conference uh I'll talk about it. The same question comes up and I'll say everyone in this room should leave here following each other. You know, mm -hmm. you're all colleagues now. You're all trying to do the same thing. Go go follow each other, boost each other, talk about things, join in to that conversation. Um, and one of the good things about social media is that no matter where you are in the world, you can participate in that. You don't have to live in New York City the way you did 30 years ago mm -hmm. for that to happen. And you mentioned um, the the client 5,000 followers on Twitter, go get 5,000. Is that a magic number? No, not necessarily. That was what I said then. And I, you know, but I think the more the better, you know, people look for influencers and and that is a way to bec become one. Um, you know, I don't think you need to be, um, the other thing is think about who you are and, you know, as a writer and, and make a social media profile that fits with that. So don't go trolling other people or, you know, stirring up insight, you know, ins don't be insightful with a C unless that's who you are. I mean, you know, Michael Moore with his brand is getting the, you know, finding the real facts behind, you know, things. So he'll be that kind of personality where he's, he's doing that. But if that's not who you are, then don't be acting that way on social media. So TikTok has become a, a thing, right? And it's, but it's, but it's different book talk because, but it's different because it's not like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram where you can, you put yourself out there, but you, what you want is for and you know, one of the reviewers, which are typically younger women, right? Reading books and being moved emotionally. What do yes. you do with that? I mean, well, how do you get books to those people? <laughs> well, it's the same thing too, because on, on other platforms, yes, you can have your own opinion, but you want other people to notice and be talking about you mm -hmm. as well. So I think it's, it's very similar. Um, you know, how do you do it? I, think you can't manufacture it. I don't think there's one way. I think that you have to do your best with your own work and, you know, think about when you want that to happen. That's, that's an after getting published thing, mm -hmm. not a before getting published thing. You want it, you want it to happen when there's something people can buy that, that you've got. Right. Right. Well, okay. Let's go back to queries. Um, okay. So, you know, I hear different things from different people about what makes a good query. And the one thing that does seem to be common is um, having comps. Mm -hmm. Comp and titles. Comp titles. How important are comps? Like comparison titles are very important. Yeah. Um, so a comparison title tells me a number of things. It tells me you know the kind of book that you've written. You know, you're not giving me comp titles that are fantasy when you've written something that's contemporary and realistic. They're telling me that you know who the audience is. They're telling me that you, you know, have read in that area enough and that you know, I mean, you're going to pick books that are recent and successful. And what's recent? Last two or three years. Okay. And um, you're going to pick books that, you know, 
where your book belongs on the shelf with them or there's something about the other book that is not on the shelf with them that tells you something about why that your book will belong with the other ones there. So, um, you know, you can use a, a book and a movie or a TV show, you know, depending. Um, but I recommend having at least one or two books and, you know, that are similar. And it's sort of, it's an easy catch way to say, my book is the kind of read you can expect to have if you read this other one. So, you know, what about, well, what am I thinking? I'm thinking about like when your book is not quite like these other books, but it's written in the spirit of, or in, you know, with a similar tone of, I mean, can you use those kind of comparisons and does that work for you? It can work. Yes. I mean, the thing is you can't have written something that's exactly like something right. else, but you need to know what category it's in. So maybe you use, you know, one of your comp titles is not quite, you know, in that category, but has something about it. Like it's written in prose poetry or it's got, you know, movie themes or it's got, you know, a character with um, a disability or something from that. So that gives you like, take this element of it. And you can say that with this element of this from this other book, you know, it's, it's like a read like these. Mm -hmm. So that way it, mm -hmm. it can be a way of distinguishing it, you know, so that it's not just the same as, I mean, as everything else. There right. does need to be that hook to a book where you feel like, Ooh, I want to find out about that. Mm -hmm. So as a reader, something that draws you in and makes you want to pick that book out of every other book in a bookstore, mm -hmm. you know, or that will, you'll hear about it in an interview or something, or you read a, a review and you'll want to go specifically and get that book to read it. Sure. Can you talk about the aspects of a query letter, like what should be there and where? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not. A, a science it's not exact but in general i like a write to a specific agent you know dear jenny mm -hmm. and or dear jenny dunham whatever and then say you know i've written this you know give the title the category the length um and then go into you know a five to seven sentences about what the book is about the basic premise the hook um and here you're really thinking about what is the central conflict in the book what what is it going to rise to so i can tell what kind of story it is it's an adventure story it's a romance it's a you know it's a mystery it's a thriller um and i don't just mean in a category way but i mean in terms of the narrative arc you know they're looking to find the dead identify the dead body or something like that um and then there should be a paragraph again three to seven sentences with the person's bio you know why is this the right person to write this book? And what credentials do they have about the topics discussed in the book, even if it's fiction? You know, mm -hmm. um, a police procedural, you know, I worked as a policeman for 20 years or something mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. gives an authenticity to the fictional story that they've written. Um, and, you know, then a closing about, you know, hope to hear from you and I'm submitting to a group of uh, uh, the terms of the submission. You know, I'm reaching out to a number of agents or whatever you know do you like pages to be included a couple of pages um i ask for the first five pages mm -hmm. as a sample and i like it to be in the body of the email not as an attachment mm -hmm. to prevent from viruses you know, getting into my computer mm -hmm. 
intentional or otherwise. <laughs> so then what's different then with what happens next in terms of whether they're querying you for a novel um, or prescriptive nonfiction or spiritual, um, yeah. a spiritual book? What happens next? Well, if whatever the project is, I'll read through the queries and I try, I do try to respond to all of them. Um, that takes some time. Um, but the next step would be for me to say, please send me the full manuscript or please send me a proposal. And so if it's nonfiction, you just want the proposal. I'm, I'd probably ask for the proposal with the exception of memoir, where I might ask for a proposal and I might ask for the full manuscript because a memoir will often sell based on the writing. Mm -hmm. So it's like a, a novel in that way. Hmm. What mistakes do you see writers making when they query you? Um, the biggest mistake, I think, is just not to take a look at the kind of books that I represent and mm -hmm. sending me anything thinking, maybe this will be the one, you know, <laughs> I'm, if they don't know who I am and what I'm working on, I'm much more likely to say they haven't taken the time. Uh, I have a website with detailed information on it. So mm -hmm. I encourage everyone to go and, and look at that. And I can tell that people have looked when they say, you know, I saw on your website, it says, blah, 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 blah. And they'll find something there. Or I read this book and saw, you know, you represented it. So I thought it's like mine and something like that. So I think really doing the focused research is, is the first thing. But also, I mean, people miss on the premise, you know, it's a, you know, why would someone want to read that book? What's the appeal of that book? Um, what about, I just made a note as you were talking about, and now can I even read my writing? Do you find anything from the slush pile? That's what I wanted to ask you. Do things come in that, you know, no one's referred to you and they've never met you at a conference and they've never seen you on a panel and they've been going through whatever and found you and it's coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I go through all those queries. Um, and, you know, most of them are not right for me. Um, but occasionally I'll see something and I'll say, oh, that looks interesting. I'll take a look. And I'll take a look and, you know, often it'll be, eh, this just doesn't feel like I'm the right person for this. Um, I, I don't want to say ever, this is bad. That's not what goes through my mind. It's not about good or bad. It's about is it right for me or not right mm -hmm. for me? You know, and something that's not right for me could go on and be a bestseller with someone else. Right. You know, and it's also about having the vision for the book. Do I, you know, when I take on a writer, I'm going to work with them for a bit in order to get their project ready for submission. And so I need someone who's professional enough that they'll take that feedback and say, yeah, I see where you're going. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And we'll work together. Um, and I also need somebody who is going to have a project where I feel like they are doing them. They've done the majority of the work. I can see what it is and, and, and help them get there. You know? Well, I, that's what I was going to ask you as well. How involved do you become with the editing? Like how involved do you get with that in terms of, you know, here comes, you know, here comes the manuscript after the query, you like it, you want to take on the client, you take on the client before it goes to the publisher. What happens with you and the work and the well, client? Um, I'll talk about it. I'll generally, I mean, I'm not going to, 
it's their job to get it ready, but it's my job to give them the feedback they need so that they can get it ready. Mm-hmm. So I'll go over it and it will often be two, three, four times before it's ready to go. Um, because I find that the more that can be done ahead of time, the more likely an editor is to say yes. I'm mm-hmm. trying to take away barriers so an editor isn't going to say no. Right. You know, right. And um, many of them, many of us do our reading on our free time. Mm-hmm. So the more ready it can be, the less free time that takes up. Right. So earlier you mentioned in the query, you want, you know, in that first paragraph, you know, title, length of book. Um, I've noticed that it seems like books are also becoming shorter. It used to be that, you know, you didn't want a book 50,000 words or under, and now I'm seeing some shorter books. I mean, how do you feel about that? Is that a trend or it's, you know, just up to the book, up to the... I mean, I think it is dependent on the book. I see it going different ways in different categories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there is a place for, you know, a very thin memoir. Um, and sometimes a book just, you know, artistically, what is the right length for the book? What is enough room to tell the story, but not so long that, you know, a reader gets bogged down in it. It's kind of like that skirt saying, long enough to cover the material, short enough to be interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, do you want to know in a query whether a writer has worked with a developmental editor? Um, I suppose it's helpful, but I don't ever represent someone or not represent someone because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I it seems that there are writers who think it's important to tell the agent the history with this particular manuscript. And and I wonder about that. Like, how much do you want to know? Do you want to know if um, if they had another agent representing it? If it has gone out already? I mean, you know. Absolutely. I certainly need to know if it's gone out already and there was another agent because I can't go back to the editors who already saw it. So that's very important to see. With a developmental editor, I mean, it's always important to see another set of eyes, but it's not a necessary step to getting an agent having a developmental editor and it's not necessarily a credential either Hmm. you know it's not oh i worked with this developmental editor like you know if you're if you're working with a particular author in an mfa program that might be a sort of cachet but but a developmental editor no i don't consider it that when you um have rejected um, a query or a manuscript or whatever. I mean, is there a second chance to, will you tell a writer, you know, if you work on this, I'd like to see it again, or if on their own, they work on the book again, should they approach you again and say, Hey, I, you read this two years ago. It's quite different now. I mean, how do you feel about that? Usually I'll be very clear if I want to see, you know, I'll say something like, if you revise this substantially, I'm open to taking another look. Or I'll say, um, I don't, you know, see how this project would work, but I like your writing and I'd be open to hearing from you about other book length projects. Mm-hmm. So I'll be clear about that. If I've passed because I just don't feel like the voice is right or something, you're probably not going to get too far with me with querying again. I mean, but I'll accept it, mm-hmm. you know, the query letter, but, I, you know, it's it's unlikely that I'd 
be, you know, that I'd feel that we were the right match. Talk about voice. You mentioned voice and voice is, um, can be, I don't know, a little esoteric, like, well, especially to new writers, you know, new writers, like what? Talk about voice. Voice is very hard to describe, but it's the, the way that the story is told and um, having a, a unique voice for an, an author is um, an important aspect of selling a book. And it's how we, it's sort of an imprint or stamp that an author has of, you know, the type of artistry or style that they have um, in the way that an, a fine artist would have a look and all the same sort of look in all of the paintings that they create. Um, so it's hard to explain exactly what it is or how to, how to pinpoint it, but um, it, it, it's a, a very important aspect of a new project that I'm, con any new project I'm considering. So would that be um, workable, you know, talking in comps when you're talking about comparable titles to say, uh, written like with a similar voice of yeah you could yeah yeah mm -hmm. comps are kind of difficult I think comps might be the most difficult aspect of a query letter you know I think it's different for everybody some people just really understand comps and how they work and mm -hmm. some people even though they've written a whole book they have trouble explaining it in seven sentences mm -hmm. they're all skills that you need in the professional toolkit of being a writer um, and not just storytelling, but in finding a home for a book and, and getting it in readers' hands. Um, but, you know, I th think that um, it's important to try with the comp titles. Yeah, it's important to try. Um, anything we should have talked about, but, but didn't? Um, what did we, what did I miss? What did I not ask you that I should have asked you? Um, I don't know, you went over a lot. We went over a lot. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate your time. I think, um, you know, with with COVID, we're, we're seeing more agents um, in, in presentations like this, but still people hunger for information from agents. You know, you're a kind of a, you know, interesting creature that is so important and yet it's like well what do i do how do i find her how do i this how do i that so um it's all about that matchmaking it can be hard to find the one kind of like dating you know well that's another thing actually that i should that i want to ask you and that is um chemistry like with zoom now there's more opportunity to meet an, a possible a potential agent but um, how important should chemistry be? And is that more important than say the agent's business acumen? I mean, what, you know, how do you balance? I mean, I think that there, it, it is finding a balance. That's exactly what it is. You want someone that you feel comfortable working with because this is the person who not only delivers good news, but this is the person who delivers bad news and has to come up with plan B. You know, and is that the person that you feel you respect enough that, I mean, you can be friendly and collegial and when they deliver bad news, you know, you act like a professional with them, you right. know, and, and you <laughs> trust them to help you out of that situation, whatever it is. 
So how personal should should the relationship be? I mean, I I'm trying to think of the writer who said that um, if your agent won't give you their home number, they're not the agent for you. Well, that's certainly not the right client for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I had somebody look up my home phone number and call me on a Sunday afternoon. And oh. I said, to them, do you mind if we talk about this when I'm in the office tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that with more and more people working from home, um, it's important to keep a work boundary, mm -hmm. a work-life boundary. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it that says something about that person. I need someone who's on call all the time for me. Right. And that's not really a reasonable professional expectation hmm. for anybody, hmm. unless you're in hospice or childbirth. Right. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Taking the time. Before we go, I want to remind you of two things. One is I have a YouTube channel. It's Barbara DeMarco Barrett. And some of the interviews I do here are posted there with video. We love all of our listeners and especially our Patreon supporters who help us to keep going. When we were at the radio station up till about a year ago, every six months or so, the station would do a massive fun drive to help keep the lights on. Now that Marie and I have left and we're doing Writers on Writing via Zoom, our Patreon supporters help us to keep doing what we're doing. We appreciate whatever you can throw our way. I want to thank Travis Barrett, who does our music design and has an album's worth of typewriter music on Spotify, free to you. Look for Just My Type. And if you want to get in touch with me, email me at penonfire at earthlink.net. My website is penonfire.com. Marie Stone is at mariestone at gmail.com and Travis Barrett is at travisbarrettcreative at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. In the meantime, stay in the chair.